So this is probably not a popular opinion, but most engagement surveys suck. They are a list of questions that tries to determine how well the employees are doing what the company wants them to do. And they do, they do very little about how these people are actually feeling. And if there are questions like that, they don't tend to allow for much context. And so, you know, employees are sort of trying to explain what's going on, um, but there's not a lot of action or insight in there. Welcome to the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO and founder of JGA Recruitment, specialist HR recruiters. Tuning into the HR L&D podcast will help you to discover strategic growth concepts, leadership development strategies, and the values and behaviors that drive organizational change and success. Together, let's empower our workforces, diversify our thinking, and achieve significant HR success. Hello, and welcome to the HR L&D podcast. Today, I am joined by Neil Bedwell, founding partner and president at Local, a change marketing consultancy. Now, prior to starting Local, Neil led global digital marketing at Coca-Cola and ran the brand's digital program for the 2014 FIFA World Cup in Brazil. Now, Neil and his team used consumer marketing techniques inside some of the world's biggest and best companies, including Capital One, Kaiser Permanent, Southwest Airlines, P&G, UPS, and and more to engage with and build belief amongst companies' most valuable assets, which as HR professionals, you'll already know, is their people. Now, Neil knows it is the companies that put people first that will really survive and thrive post-pandemic, which is why HR marketing needs to be more aligned if businesses truly want to fuel future growth. Neil wants to inspire HR practitioners to think and work like marketers, to build belief fuel adoption and create opportunities for all employees to become owners of change. Why? Because the future of work depends on it. I should also add that at the end of this podcast, Neil gives one of the best descriptions I've ever heard for what HR is all about. So stay tuned for that. Sit back, relax, and let's get started. Hello and welcome back to the HR L&D podcast. I'm Nick Day, CEO of JGA Recruitment, specialist HR recruiters. So Neil, over to you. Tell me a little bit about why you believe there needs to be a really critically important harmony between marketing and HR. Hey, Nick. Yeah, great to be here and nice to hear a familiar accent too. I'm over here in the US, so yeah, it's nice to talk to another Brit. Yeah, so I'm a career marketing guy. And so I don't really have any business joining an HR podcast, or at least I I didn't. Over the last sort of five years, we've been building this company local and this practice of change marketing. And over the course of, I'll, I'll explain a little bit about what that is. But to answer your question, my marketing career, there is one phenomenon, one is almost a sort of painful phenomenon that, that knits together every single thing that I've been involved with you know, over the last year, nearly, you know, nearly 20 years. And that is that as marketers, as, you know, agency side creatives or, um, you know, client side marketing leaders, our job is to try and create something new and fresh that reaches um, the, these people on the outside, our customers who are busy going about their lives. And, you know, we're trying to interrupt them, give them something interesting to, uh, and something new to, uh, to pay attention to. What most marketing people experience and this phenomena that I've experienced is the idea when you form it as a creative or as a, you know, as a client side marketer 
is big and powerful when it's in that PowerPoint presentation or that sizzle video that, that, that we show each other. Over the course of, of actually then taking it from an idea to executing it and putting it out there into the world so that the, the customers that we're trying to reach actually see it, they tend, these things tend to get watered down, beaten up, chopped up. And the reason for that is not because we're actively trying to destroy our own ideas or um, we're not actually capable of executing. It's the journey that these ideas make and take through the complex cultures of the, the organizations that are buying them. So, you know, from the marketing team that, that are in that room watching the presentation out to their leaders and then to IT, to sales and, and other sort of internal administrative and business teams, to different countries or regions or divisions inside those organizations. With every one of those steps that that idea takes, it changes shape. It is impacted. And so the culture of an organization has a huge impact on the quality of the final work that we as marketing people used to produce. Yet we were never allowed to even understand the culture, uh, let alone figure out how to navigate it. We just kind of threw our ideas into that sort of unknown, you know, it's like throwing a little uh, ice cube into a volcano and hoping it survives. Uh, and so the people most connected to the culture of organizations are HR leaders. I believe that HR and marketing are actually sort of two sides of, of the same coin. We are interested in engaging and, and sort of connecting with people. As marketers, we're worried about the people on the outside. As HR leaders, you're worried about people on the inside. They're still human beings. They're the same people. Um, and so if we can uh, engage people on the inside with the same sort of effort that we apply on the outside, perhaps we can actually help those, that cultural integration of these ideas um, and, and help these ideas survive that journey through those internal sort of systems and, and, and through that internal culture so that they come out more like the ideas we had on the, when we first conceived them. You know, if you, if you boil it all the way down, HR and marketing are the two disciplines inside any company, big or small, that cares most about people, but they just do it in a very different way. Marketing is about understanding the complex, unique, diverse lives of our customer audience and trying to find a little gap in their day that we can be relevant. The most important thing in every marketing strategy is that understanding of the audience. The customer sits at the center of the work. With HR, um, it tends to be a little bit more compliance-based. And I'm, I know I'm talking to an audience of HR leaders, and I, and I recognize that there is a definite push to try and change this. But instead of trying to understand deeply how those people feel, it's much more about trying to organize them, line them up, make them more the same as each other rather than understand what makes them different, which is what we do on the outside. So uh, I think that marketing and HR can learn a lot from each other in terms of actually driving business growth by leaning in more to the human beings inside the company so that those human beings will support and help grow the ideas that we want to put out there in the world that will grow a business on the outside. Sure. 
That makes complete sense to me. And it, you know, we're no longer in a time of siloed departments as we used to be. It's much more, I see it as a recruiter in this space, it's much more about hybrid positions. It's much more about collaboration with other departments. And, and you're absolutely right. You know, the one thing that I hadn't made the connection with, but it makes total sense to me that, that really connects marketing and HR is that piece around employee engagement. And obviously that's that's front and centre from an HR perspective. And it hadn't even occurred to me that, of course, it's front and centre from a, a marketing perspective as well. And we all know the more engaged employees are, typically company performance is improved as well. And that's been quite well documented with various studies. There was one recently that was undertaken, which showed that engaged employees outperform those with low engagement by up to 250%, which is quite remarkable. So from your perspective, Neil, why do you think that so many companies still treat employees like an afterthought? And I've got to be slightly carefully that a lot of the people listening to this probably aren't those people because it comes under their HR remit, but it still can't take away from the fact that many companies as a whole still don't necessarily put their employees front and center like a marketing or an HR function would. Yeah, it's, it's right. I mean, you said it, said it really well. I mean, these, these are all just human beings. I always, when I talk to, you know, whoever I'm talking to clients or, you know, other peers across the, the, the different sphere of the industries that we work in, you know, it, it's, if, if you can think about your employees as highly cultured consumers, which they are when they are not actually working for you out there in their lives, they're, you know, the Apple consumers or Nike consumers or whoever, um, if you can think of them like that, then you might actually try and engage them in a different way. But I'll, I'll give you a little story. Let's just imagine that I've decided to fly from my home here in Atlanta back to the UK and I'm looking for uh, an airline to travel with. So um, maybe the first thing I'm going to do is see who flies to uh, you know, Heathrow to the, the destination I want to go. So that gives me two or three, four airlines that I could choose from probably. Then maybe I'm, I'm going to you know, look at their marketing or, I've seen, or, or recall some marketing that I've seen. And I, and I decide that there's one particular airline whose brand resonates with me, whose message seems to be, you know, that's the kind of premium experience that I'm looking for. So I go onto their website. Their website is beautiful well-designed. I get to the, um, the flight easily. They even have the price. It's even, even within my price range. So everything is great. Download that app so that I can, once I bought the flight, I can check in and manage my sort of navigation through to, you know, to check in and, and, and through into the airport. And so that goes great too. The app's seamless. Everything works. So when then I arrive at the gate and the gate agent's miserable, what's my airline experience? It's bad because the only thing I'm going to remember is, is how that person made me feel. I'm going to forget the millions of dollars invested in all the other stuff ahead of that. Um, and it's, that gay agent is miserable, miserable probably because of something that uh, messed with his or her shifts or um, they didn't get the pay rise that they wanted or they don't feel like they're getting supported or they're overworked or whatever it is. But they are the primary, primary delivery of the promise that all that other stuff made. So that's why it's so important. And that's why that stat, was it 250%? I think it's the Hay Group uh, that, that found out that, that, that engaged employees drive growth. So that's why it's important. The, the problem is I, I don't think that most companies have that full journey mapped out in the way that I just explained. I think that they actually look at the performance of the individual elements, but don't see the human interaction as part of that. Uh, and so, uh, and, and recognize that, you know, the human interaction and, and how that human being is feeling, there's so many different facets that go into that, that make up, you know, that engaged, happy, positive, 
experience or not. And I think it all, it comes down to how companies are actually structured. You know, our employees are more often than not seen as a cost rather than something to be invested in to grow the business. So how can we actually make this, how can we make this more efficient rather than more effective? How can we focus focusing on productivity rather than sort of engendering performance through you know, happiness, health, you know, the, those, those things that we seek for, seek out as humans. And so you end up trying to sort of minimize the cost of things rather than maximize the investment in those, in those people. Uh, there's another thing as well that, that, that goes with this. I think that there is a belief in more traditional companies that we pay you, therefore you will. Uh, and I always say this, that, you know, the mandate that comes with the paycheck mandates attendance. I will be there at nine o'clock because otherwise I'm going to get into trouble, you know, and I want to keep this job. But it doesn't, it doesn't mandate belief or caring or happiness. Those things have to still be earned. Uh, and so companies are assuming, I think, that by paying people, you know, within, a, within let's say, properly, to use that word in inverted commas, like paying people sort of within the, the market rate um, and giving them a set of benefits is enough to mandate their happiness and peak performance. And it's not. It's actually how the company makes them feel and how they feel like they're contributing to the company, what the impact that they feel like they're making that will actually deliver that sort of peak performance. And I don't think that companies are set up to, to do that softer side, like the emotional drivers that people need. It's much more those rational things. There's a connection that needs to be made from emotional investment or investing in the emotional needs of the human beings in order to get that peak performance that then drives growth. And, and I don't think the wiring has been made all the way through yet, um, at least in most traditional companies. Sure, I think you've made that a really, really clear distinction for me. It, was, it makes it makes your brain work. But I was thinking, you know, we look at all the the system things. There's a bit of us with with the amount of tech that we see coming out now with social media platforms, and we're exposed to so much technology, you know, on a day to day, and so much information on a day to day basis that the endorphin rush of seeing a good slick website actually is it, it happens instantly, but it goes equally as quick. But that human interaction piece it lasts a lot longer. Good experience lasts, longer. and it's the same with the pay thing that you mentioned. You know, a hundred pound bonus or a thousand pound bonus is great and it makes you feel good for a short period. But actually a manager taking you out and telling you what a great job you're doing or praising you publicly lasts a lot longer. And I think it was um, uh, that story for the airline was a great example of how you're putting that into position. So thank you for that. It was, it was, uh, I'm a visual learner. So for me, I've got little pictures going in my head and it was, uh, it was really well put. Now, I obviously said in my introduction, Neil, that you're, you're founding partner and president at Local, which is a change marketing consultancy. What is Local's unique approach to what is then that macro problem? And, and how did you come across it? You kind of explained it really well, but what's, what's the solution? Well, I, I always see us as, a, as an, sort of a component in the toolkit that you need to do this properly rather than that we, we do everything. But the, if, if we believe, and you know, the, some of the points I'm trying to make here, we believe that the, the human beings are often overlooked in, say, like a process of change. Most metrics of success, let's say in a technology transformation, tend to be about data migration or hard timelines and hitting deadlines for uh, standing up new technologies, about process efficiency. But most people tend to overlook the human involvement and the power of those human beings to either see that change successful or to destroy it. So uh, I'm going to butcher a couple of uh, different data points here, but there's some, a lot of studies around digital transformation. Let's pick that. You know, so new technology, rolling out new technology inside you know, companies. 
somewhere between 50 and 75%, depending on which studies you look at. And these are sort of BCG, McKinsey type studies. 50 to 75% of those transformation initiatives will fail in some way, either completely or partially. So that's more than half of new transformation initiatives being started right now are predicted to fail. And there's a, two or three other studies that will tell you that people and talent issues, people and talent forces are the main cause of failure. Yet the investment in the people and talent side of change is absolutely minimal. It tends to be sort of the, an afterthought that, you know, that, oh, we must tell people what we're doing. The, the way we always describe this, and if you're a visual learner, I'll try and do this with a, a description. So you can, if you can imagine that the way change actually unfolds, people tend to see it as a sort of linear pathway. You know, we, we, we see the opportunity or some sort of some force that, that is driving us to make a change in our business. And then as a leadership team, we commit to change. We, we, we make that sort of that intent to change is, is agreed across the, across the leaders. So we're going to do something. Then what we do is we spend time developing the change strategy, that high level, often very expensive document that's created that says this, this is how we make this change. Uh, and then we take that document out into the world, uh, into our organization and then implement that change. So. If, if that's what it looks like linear, what it actually looks like is a canyon, a valley. So I want you to imagine a, you know, a simple axis on uh, the vertical is the value to the company of a particular action and on the horizontal is time. When at that early outset, when we make the intent to change, that is incredibly valuable to the organization. So we, you know, we're at the top of that, um, of the hill. But as then we sit in a boardroom developing the strategy, ourselves as a group of leaders without going out to the organization to understand what's actually happening. The value to the business diminishes. We roll down the first hill into the valley. At this point, the only people that really know about the change are leaders. Yet the people that are necessary to the success of the change, the employees, they don't know anything about it. At some point on that journey, as we get down towards the bottom of the valley, we then go out and start to tell people, okay, this is what we're going to do. And it tends to be the document that we've, that we've spent all this time building that we share with the rest of the employees. And, and the reaction is often, well, what's that got to do with me? Or why are we doing this? I don't understand why this is happening. To the leaders, it looks completely uh, rational and well thought through, but to the employees, you don't really know anything. Um, and aren't really, it just looks like complexity. Uh, it looks like it's going to affect them you know, negatively, and they don't understand why it's happening. In order to get the ball from down in the bottom of the valley, the, the, the chasm of death, as, as where, where transformation projects die, back up the other side to success requires the employees to push it, requires the employees to be involved in it. And so what you're asking for is people who have never heard about a thing to embrace it without recognizing why it's good for them, their role in it, and how they can, they can participate so that it, it brings benefit to everyone. You haven't told them any of that stuff. You just said, company needs to do this. We need you to do this. Uh, and so they tend to push back or to, to, to not help it actually sort of travel back up that hill. On the employee side of it, what you need to do is you've got to bring them into the process earlier. So our change marketing process really just puts employees into the, to the heart of change right at the intent stage. So if you like, from that, that, that valley, we build a bridge back from the employee side across the chasm to the leadership side. Uh, and we work employees back to company rather than company out to employees. So just as you would a, a, a consumer marketing program, you know, 
you, you develop the strategy around your audience. We do the same thing with by developing the change strategy around the employees. Um, and it basically, it, it's, it covers three simple things. We need to build belief. We need to get employees in, in, uh, to understand what's happening, why it's happening, um, and, and why this is good for them. We need to find early ways for them to sort of adopt, to, to try to pilot their hands on this new thing so that they're not scared of it. And then we need to build that into their working day. We need to give them the opportunity to do the new thing, use the new technology or the new process as part of their working day so it becomes normal. So we basically focus on, on those areas and we do it through strategic marketing techniques. So we do it through great communications. We do it through experiential training programs so that you're not learning you know, on some, you know, really sort of basic Q&A program. You're actually sort of able to put your hands on the new thing, you know, just like you would a new product. You know, try, try it on, see how it feels, um, get involved with it. And then just, um, you know, looking at the way in which managers, as, as an example, then make this part of the normal working process. So in, in effect, this change marketing is some elements of change management, you know, some of the models that you need to understand what the company is trying to do and, and how to make this work for the company. And then a lot of consumer marketing, which is how do you make this work for the employees? Put those two things together. And then we sort of roll that through from leaders out to the employees uh, as early as possible, as transparent as possible, as visible as possible, as personalized as possible, um, so that everybody feels like this is change happening with them rather than to them. And if you think about as human beings, we, there's nothing in the world we like happening to us rather than with us. You know, we want to be involved. That makes total sense. To play devil's advocate, though, is there a risk if you are a director and you want to make a change because so many transformations do fail? And maybe they fail because of that lack of employee engagement, which I'll, you know, I'd love you to come back to. Maybe that, maybe that would solve the problem. But also, are we not setting potential expectations? If there's a high risk of failure, is there a risk on leaders telling or involving employees too early if a transformation will fail or if they do they need to at what point do they need to say actually now we involve them we are fully invested in this and is there a risk in doing that too early it's it's such a great question you know if, if there's a risk in, in involving your employees early there's a chance is there's a there's a deeper issue with the transformation approach itself the the greatest asset and the the greatest proponent of success for any transformation asset is, is, is your people. So if, you, if, if there's a reason not to involve them early in it, it suggests that that transformation doesn't actually serve them. Um, now, there are transformation initiatives that, that don't serve every employee. I mean, you know, streamlining an organization doesn't serve every employee. Yet, if, there's, if you're going to be impacted, if you know about it earlier, um, and then you're able to adapt to it rather than it comes as a shock. And then and that shock wave is felt through the organization. I mean, I've, I've been involved in companies where there are layoffs and those layoffs are announced out of the blue. That, that is painful for those impacted, but you know that it also has an impact for those who are staying. That gate agent for the airline that we talked about, if you just laid off three of her friends, how she feel? There's rarely an argument for keeping employees in the dark about change. You don't have to give them every little piece of information but you can help them understand what's happening and most importantly, why, why we are doing this. If you can give people a real, honest, authentic reason why something is happening and it's backed up by, you know, stuff that they can see, stuff that they believe in, it's not just sort of political rhetoric or anything, then 
chances are, you know, if they believe in what the company's doing, then they'll push with you to try and make it success. There's, there's, there's rarely a reason not to, not to involve them. You did also mention, you know, about sort of the biggest mistakes that companies make. Um, it's not always, you know, about going too early or too late. I, honestly, I think it's this, is that the biggest mistake that most companies make is assuming engagement. Is well, we, we have employees and we just assume that they're engaged. We just, we, 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 they will do what we tell them. It's that, I mean, that's, imagine taking a new brand or product out into the, you know, the marketplace to try and reach busy months. As an example, if you assumed interest, you're going to fail. You know, there's, we, nobody does that. Um, not, not the biggest brands in the world assume that there is a, you know, a hungry audience out there just waiting for this thing. We spend so much time trying to understand, you know, where the gaps are in their lives, where's the need in their lives, so that we can demonstrate that this fits into that gap somehow. The, the assumption of, of compliance and engagement, you know, just sort of happy and sitting there waiting to be told what to do is probably the biggest mistake that companies make. And, and in so doing, the information or, or the, the communication that they put out, which is a lot of this is, is a communication uh, solution to that sort of engagement problem. The communication they put out is information. We, there's, a, there's a really interesting anomaly that happens inside a lot of companies is let, let's say we are, you and I are, you know, sort of director level folks in a big company. When we communicate to our leaders, we tend to try and tell them, uh, to inspire them, tell them a story about what's happening, you know, to, to, to showcase the brilliance of our idea. But what those leaders do, they're time poor and they're, and, and they're often way ahead of us is they just need the facts. Give me, give me the information so I can make decisions about what needs to get done. When then as directors, we try and communicate down to, you know, to, to frontline employees. We tend to just want to give them the facts and what they actually need is a story. What they actually want to be is inspired by the company that they work for um, so that they can, they can feel good about the company they work for, not just be informed about what's happening. Because we assume engagement, we go straight to information. Here are the five things you need to do. And, and without actually trying to build that belief that to, to make people care about what's happening. And, and so a lot, of the, a lot of the work that we do, oftentimes we're either picking up from something that hasn't worked. You know, we, put, we, we try to get people to use this and they're not using it. Or we are, um, the company has been through a, a failed transformation in some form, in some part of the business, and doesn't want to make that mistake again. Uh, and, and that will always go in and say, you, you know, okay, so how do your people feel right now? Because how they think and feel will determine what they do. And if they don't think what you think they think, and if they don't feel good, then they're very unlikely to do the things that you want them to do, want them to do. So let's not go straight to the instructions, the doing. Let's concentrate on think and feel first. Have you ever asked yourself, how can any recruiter understand my HR recruitment challenges? Please don't give up on your hiring challenges just yet. Here at JGA HR Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top human resources talent. We also understand just how costly a poor hire can be. JGA HR Recruitment would like to partner with you to help you overcome your hiring challenges. Contact us today on 01727 800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. You make a really robust case for, certainly for internal marketing, for getting that employee engagement, which I'm sure is going to be music to the ears of the HR listeners listening to this podcast. But if the future of work, therefore, then depends on HR and marketing being more 
aligned, for want of a better word. If I was an HR practitioner listening to this now, maybe I've got a transformation. Probably most of them have transformations planned. Um, They're doing strategic planning now, particularly with the pandemic going on. There's a lot of change going on. People are looking at new technologies they may want to implement to streamline, to to engage their workforces, which may be global when they can't see them face to face and all these different things that are going on. If I was an HR leader listening to this and I want to align myself better with marketing for the reasons and the very robust case that you've made so far today, where should I start? What advice would you give to me now to go, right, you've got a transformation on the agenda. Before you jump into that, this is what I would do. There's one very, very important thing that most companies don't do. And uh, you've actually said the word as part of the question. Listen, we do a very bad job as leaders of companies in actually listening to our people. So this is probably not a popular opinion, but most engagement surveys suck. They are a list of questions that tries to determine how well the employees are doing what the company wants them to do. And they do do very little about how these people are actually feeling. And if there are questions like that, they don't tend to allow for much context. And so, you know, employees are sort of trying to explain what's going on, um, but there's not a lot of actionable insight in there. So listening, and by listening, I mean actually trying to understand who these human beings are what uh, motivates them, you know, that, that behavioral insight, that psychographic insight, rather than just the, the, the basic sort of factual information. So I'll give you a little fun, fun fact, and I won't name who this is, but one of the very large e-commerce platforms in the world, which is not the, the first one you're thinking of based over here in the US, um, but, but there's, a, there's, a, there's a number of very large sort of e-commerce platforms. And I got to hear about um, the number of data fields that that, that that organization has about every one of its customers. It has hundreds of millions of active customers. Uh, and so they, on, on average, hold 11,000 individual data points about each customer. They know 11,000 things about you and 11,000 things about me. Yeah. So not every one of those data points, I, I didn't tell them that. They watched me, they listened to me, they, they observed my behavior, they, they used very, very smart algorithms to determine, well, if I do this, this, and this, then I'm likely to do this and this as well. But that kind of rounded three-dimensional picture of me as a relatively unique individual is incredibly valuable for communication, for understanding you know, what, is it, what is it I need from the company. What's the average number of data points do you think that companies hold on their employees? I don't know the answer, but it's got to be one. Yeah, I I think so. Probably not what I was thinking of before you told me (laughs) eleven thousand. It's yeah. I mean, it's it's how long you work there, what salary you earn, what job you do, maybe some something around the the, if you like your capabilities, your experience, maybe skills. Um, And so, just that little bit of real listening, you know, putting them in in the spotlight and trying to understand what it is that that they need will give you so much as you then build out that transformation strategy around them. You know, the, uh, I talk about marketing a lot. People tend to get the definition of marketing wrong. Even people who work in marketing and advertising, they, when they think of marketing, they're actually envisaging advertising, which is the sort of communications output of, uh, of a marketing activity. But the best definition that, we, that we've heard and that we use for marketing is that it is the orientation of everything we do around your audience. And so really that's the, if you're looking internally, the orientation of everything the company does around its employees. And in order to orient around your employees, you need to know them. And in order to know them, you need to listen to them. And I will say this as we have an HR sort of focused 
story today, and, and, and I know a lot of the, the folks who listen to this are uh, HR practitioners. I actually think that's a pretty good definition of, of the future of HR, which is a division inside every company that does its best to orient everything the company does around the employees, the greatest asset and the greatest cost in, in, in most, most every business. That's, that's where every company needs to start. And if you're running an HR uh, group, you know, how well are you doing that? How well are you, uh, are you actually sort of building things around employees rather than just sort of ordering and running compliance for employees? I think that is a brilliant distinction. I recommend everyone probably rewinds this little section and uh, and as a listener again, because I'm if you haven't taken notes, I think you've summed that up perfectly. And obviously you've used that from the marketing context, but yeah, absolutely, it's a great way as well of showing how closely aligned marketing is with HR, because as you say, a very similar statement actually sums up the role of the HR professional very, very well, as well as it does for the marketing side. So um, yeah, I'm glad, that you, I'm glad you brought that to the table. So I'm aware of time. And as one question I'd like to ask, because clearly you are an excellent individual and have running an excellent consultancy in, in relation to change management in terms of making change happen for the better to, in, to improve the employee experience and, and various other bits and pieces in there as well. But it, it can be quite, it's quite a disruptive theory at the minute. You know, people are often resistant to change and particularly when it comes to an employee engagement where employees have more power now than they probably ever had before that they're demanding more from businesses sometimes it can be quite nerve-wracking for an HR function or for a business to sort of rock the apple cart so to speak and sort of disrupt how they are currently managing their employee engagement piece you know where to to disrupt how they view their company culture but and yet a lot of companies are trying to do this on the back of certain campaigns that we've seen happening during lockdown in particular so in relation to change marketing which is obviously where you specialize in which you've adopted that kind of philosophy of change marketing can you tell us how hr practitioners that are listening to this can start start to create opportunities for their employees to become owners of change so it's not always down to them to promote it but actually let's get the employees to become the owners of change themselves because i read on your website that the best companies grow from the inside out that that change always happens from the bottom up and that you know you've also put on there that global growth comes from local action so i wonder if you can just give us a last last question really a bit of insight on how the hr leaders listening to this can really get their employees to become owners of change i guess that's what i'm getting to yeah so it's, it's a great question it probably deserves its own follow-on podcast but um i'll give you a couple of things from a, a strategic level i genuinely believe that uh, HR has the potential to be a central growth engine for every company, that um, HR over the next you know, decade or so could be, with the right leaders and the right awareness and understanding, could change from that cost center to that growth driver um, and could actually be you know, fundamental to the future growth of, of companies and be seen as so, not just by uh, internal leaders, but also by you know, external investors. Uh, you know, and, and the market, if you like, if you invest in people, those people will drive growth in the company. So I'm, I'm a big believer in that. From a strategic level, the way to do that is to look at the impact your people have on the company's financial performance and try to find a thread. Try to make that to, to make that wiring like a, like the airline example, where the leader, you know, engage with the leader of the service division uh, that looks after those gate engines. And, and say, hey, if we invest more here, you know, is there a way of measuring the impact then on customer satisfaction from that? You know, how do we wire those two things together? And every business, of course, is different. But, 
you know, from the front line back to the head office rather than, you know, keeping those two things in silo. So that would be there. From a more sort of tactical level, there is a book which I believe is, is called It's the Manager. The stat is something like 70% of influence and impact on frontline employees comes from their direct manager. So if you want to be more successful in your engagement activity, think about what you can do to, you can do to empower managers. And I don't just mean, you know, give them a little pay bump to, to, to spend a little bit more time looking after their people, but help them be better people leaders rather than just practical, productive managers. Um, help them understand their value. We see that in recruitment because one of the, the biggest reasons people leave jobs, whether you're in HR, whether you're in whatever function it is, the biggest reason, and a lot of statistics back, back this up, People leave positions not typically for salary, not typically because of location. The number one reason is due to a manager that they just are not inspired by or are not being developed by or they don't believe in or they're not happy with. So I think you've absolutely nailed From a recruitment perspective, we see this every day, right? And we're speaking to people that want to change roles for that very reason. So I think from my perspective, certainly in the talent space, you've hit the nail absolutely on the head that you know, HR should definitely be focused on developing leaders and developing those people skills. Sorry to interject, but it's something that we see every day as a recruiter as well. So I think no, no, you're, you're absolutely yeah, right. I, yeah, and, and we, we feel it more and more. I mean, if you think about, um, back to my consumer marketing sort of experience, the greatest influence on a potential customer is not the advertising, the packaging or any of that stuff. It's one of their friends who is already a customer of that brand or product. You know, and they become a, a, an advocate managers play an incredible role in advocacy for new initiatives um, and for, for you know engagement with the company and, and an incredible role is either positive or negative you know you can have a great leader you can have if you like investment in culture but if you have a bad manager you are shielded from all of that and it just it's that's a bad experience you can also have great managers in companies that don't invest a lot in those things and you can have engaged people in their team because the manager has such an influence. So, um, you know, think about that, that person that recommended, I don't know, the car you drive or the sneakers you wear or the, you know, the place you go on vacation and how important they were in, in you making that decision. That's your manager. How can you empower them to be great advocates? Brilliant. I think that's, well, you've given us so much information. I'm conscious of time for you, Neil. I know you've got a, a, another call to get to. So I want to say a huge thank you for joining me today on the HLND podcast. You've given us so much information. I know we could talk for a lot longer on this subject, but I hope there's a wealth of information for the HR leaders listening to this to take away. I will, of course, enjoy, include all the links to some of Neil's website, but also some really interesting articles on you know how HR can be the next profit center. There's one there which was published by Forbes, uh, Change Marketing, some more about that and how to survive and thrive in the blender so lots of these kind of articles i'll put links to in the episode notes so do have a look at the show notes if you get an opportunity but once again neil thank you ever so much for joining me on the podcast it's been an absolute pleasure thank you nick really enjoyed talking to you today me too me too and of course if you are an hr or lnd professional listening to this podcast and you have an hr or lnd related vacancy that you need some specialist support with please do get in touch with me i would love to show you what a great hr recruitment experience feels like you can contact me on nick at jgarecruitment.com or give me a call 01727 800 377 otherwise i'd like to say thank you all for listening and look forward to bringing you the next episode of the hr lnd podcast real soon take care of yourselves and and each other and I look forward to speaking to you again real soon. Thank you so much for tuning into the HR L&D podcast with your host Nick Day, CEO of JGA Recruitment Specialist HR Recruiters. 
If you need any help with the current HR or L&D vacancy, then please get in touch with Nick and his team. All contact details can be found in the episode notes. In the meantime, to make sure you never miss a future episode, please subscribe to the show through any of your favorite podcast channels. Till next time.